All right, if you have your Bibles, we're in James chapter 3. Um, we are going to go through after I took a pause, a halftime break, and really, I said we were going to do two verses last week. We really only did one. We really spent about 40 minutes in James 3.13, um, but we're going to move on to 14 to 18 tonight. Um, <clears throat> so I, I, I know a lot of you probably love these types of movies. Superhero films are all the rage. They break all the records. Everybody talks about them. They're a lot of fun. Um, no matter what, um, and this is just me personally, this is an opinion, this is, so don't get mad, don't put down your stones, young men, who are about to like throw them at me for what I'm about to say, because I'm about to say that my favorite superhero movie of all time is not a Marvel movie, okay, it's not in the MCU. Now some people are okay with that, like one, DJ. Um, others of you are like, what, that is blasphemous. No, there are other really good movies that are not made by Marvel, okay. This is in particular, mine in particular, still to this day, despite all the other ones I've seen, I still think The Dark Knight by Christopher Nolan is one of the best movies I've ever seen. Superhero or not, it's just one of the great movies. It's a Batman movie. And one of my favorite scenes, um, and by the way, really funny side note, I couldn't actually pull the clip from YouTube because we have firewalls here at the church on our computers, and this clip was banned. Even though there's nothing wrong in it, I mean, it's a little intense, but there's nothing bad about it. But anyway, so I couldn't pull the clip, so I had to just grab a still, a picture. But when the Joker gets captured in The Dark Knight and Batman interrogates him, there is a line in that interrogation scene which is really chilling. The Joker looks at Batman across the table and he says, to beat me, you'll have to break your one rule. Now, Batman, historically, if you're a comic book nerd, comic book nerd which I'm not, I just like the movies, but if you're a comic book nerd, his one rule as a vigilante is that he will not kill. Because if Batman kills somebody, then he becomes a bad guy. Like, he has a moral compass. Like, he understands that if he goes across the line and kills someone as a superhero, that he's no longer a hero. But like this movie says, and these quotes now are like timeless, but sometimes the heroes live long enough to see themselves become the villains. And so Batman will not break that rule, but the Joker is going to do everything he can to push him over the edge and see how far he will take that principle. And the question that this passage tonight is asking us is... Among many, but one of the questions is, what is the one principle that rules your life? What is like the mission statement behind everything that you do? Like what is the one guiding principle that really directs all of your behavior, all of your thoughts, your decisions, the people you hang out with, the things you decide to do with your free time? I mean, all of it, what does it come down to? What is the one principle that rules your life? And in Scripture, and, and in this passage in particular, I think you could really boil it down to two really simple things. Ready? Two options. Number one, you could be humble. We'll talk about that tonight. You could be humble, and that will lead to wisdom. You could be selfish, and that could lead to foolishness. Those are really your two options. Either A, you, you, here's your principle, is I'm going I'm to live to advance the glory of something else, and that other, that something else is God. That could be one guiding principle in your life. And if that is the guiding principle that you adopt, then I would submit to you that you are going to try to live humbly. That you will live to extend the glory of someone else. And the only one who's worthy of being extended in such a way is God himself. But if you're selfish, you're going to live by this principle. I'm going to just do whatever I can to advance my own interests. Whatever it takes to make me happy, whatever I want, that's how I'm going to live. And I really think you can boil down people in general into two groups based on where they fall on those two sides of the principle. 
to live for somebody else, to extend their glory, or just to live for myself. Really, it comes down to that. Now, Scripture is very clear about how you... No, Siri, stop. Um, So, Scripture is really clear about the difference between wisdom and foolishness, and there's a link between humility and wisdom and selfishness and foolishness. I pulled two verses, and there's so many more, but these two, I think, really kind of just capture the idea. For wisdom, Proverbs 15, 33 says this, The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom. So the fear of the Lord instructs you to live wisely, and humility comes before honor. There is a combination of humility and wisdom that that verse tells you. To live in the fear of the Lord means that you would humble yourself under his authority, And that comes before honoring your own name. So you're going to honor God's name before your name. And that is the fear of the Lord in instruction. And that shows that you have wisdom. Psalm 14.1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do evil deeds. There is none who does good. That's foolish thinking. That's selfish thinking. That is earthly thinking. Earthly thinking basically comes to this point. I'm going to live for myself because as Psalm 14:1 says, you're going to live as if God is not real or God does not exist. So if God does not exist, then I would submit to you that logically it makes the most sense to go just do whatever you want to get as much as you can and enjoy this life now. Because if there is no God, then there is no moral standard. And if there is no moral standard, then you should go get whatever you want to get. The Bible warns you that the fool says in his heart there is no God. That's a foolish thing to say. Recognize as well that just because the fool says it's true doesn't make it true. Just because you tell yourself that something is not real doesn't mean that it's not real. And in God's case, you can convince yourself that he is not who he says he is according to his word or that he doesn't exist at all. But if you convince yourself of that and you want to go and live your life how you want to live it, doesn't make it true. That's a really dangerous game. But if there is no God, then logically it would make sense. Go seize all you can, even if it comes at the expense of others or is evil. And and really what James wants to try to discuss with us tonight as we go through the rest of the end of chapter 3 is where do we fall amongst this foolishness and selfishness or this humility and wisdom? And he really compares and contrasts them. I'm going to reread verse 13 just so you kind of understand the context. And if you weren't here last night, that'll help. And then we'll... Stop at verse 16. So I'm in uh, James 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. This has a lot to say about selfishness. And we start with the negative tonight as he talks about, because in verse 14 when he says, but if you have this, he then explains all the things that can come after that type of corruption because of our selfishness. He uses a couple words that I think are really important to define so that we can really get an understanding. When he says bitter jealousy, or some translations would say bitter envy, what essentially he's saying is you have a zeal, but a harsh one. You have an excitement, but it's negative for something that you desire. Okay, so you have a negative 
hunger and passion to take something that somebody else has. Your anger, your zeal, your, your almost your, your kind of upside down passion that's kind of distorted is for something that somebody else has. Because essentially, selfishness convinces you that I need to get what I want in order to get everything into the right place in the world. Like if I don't have everything that I want, then the world's not going to be, my world, not the world, but my world will not be right. And you can see how this leads to so much further destruction. I was, I was joking with Alex about this, and I, I was going to say this for later. I was even debating if I'd even say this, but I just was going to go ahead. Since we moved to Wednesday nights for, wor- for worship, every Wednesday afternoon, I come in here before I go home for a little bit, and I organize this room. Because believe it or not, after a school day here at this school, this room is a wreck. It is like a garbage dump. We have found everything from trash to really nice North Face jackets that are now, um, well, not for sale yet, but Alex and I have debated whether or not that's going to be for sale to raise money to send you guys to camp. Because I'm, I'm at this point now where I'm willing, there's, some nice, there's a nice pair of Adidas that I found, they're back there, they're kind of small, so they don't even fit my feet, and they're girly, so I wasn't going to wear them. But anyway, the whole idea of this room, it is so messed up, and it is so just disjointed. The word that James uses is disorder. This room is in disorder Wednesday afternoon. Because people who come in here just assume that they can selfishly leave their stuff behind. Alex said this that when he worked in after school care with some of the kids who go to after school here. They would leave their stuff here and Alex would be like, don't you need that? And the kids would be like, well, mom and dad will just buy me a new one. Did you really? Okay. Um, so anyway, here, here's the problem with that, okay? Yeah, mom and dad can buy you new stuff. But here's the reality. There's a sacrifice that it takes for them to earn the money to then go buy stuff that you already have. How selfish is that? Oh, I could just leave that behind. Mom and dad will give me a new one. We got money. Yeah, your parents have to work hours to make the money in order to purchase that stuff. That's selfish. Or I could just leave the trash behind in the room because guess what? They've got janitors. The church pays for people who are really nice, by the way. I know most of them by first name. And I would say to you that you make their job 10 times harder when you just leave your junk everywhere in the church because you know they're going to come clean it up. That's selfish. I'm in a rush. I need to get out of church. I need to go. I want to go do this instead. So I'm going to leave my junk and my crumbs and my bottles and all this other stuff on the floor. I'm going to walk out of the church because they got people who take care of that for me. That's selfish. This room is a living embodiment when I walk in on Wednesday afternoons of disorder. Selfishness leads to disorder because essentially you are thinking to yourself, my world is what matters and the world around me is second maybe third or fourth. But it just shows that this room wouldn't have to be straightened up if selfishness wasn't at the root of all that behavior. I mean, think about it. When you walk in places and you see disorder, just tell yourself, because of selfishness, maybe your own selfishness or the selfishness of people around you. But you see how damaging selfishness is. And bitter jealousy starts it. You want something, you covet something, you, you say, man, I want that. I don't have it, they do. And so I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get that from them. Whether I'm taking it from them directly or I'm going to make their experience with that thing that I have so miserable that they won't enjoy it anymore. Because if I can't have it, they can't have it. Now that sounds really petty and gross. But that's exactly what the human heart does. We get jealous when people succeed and we don't. We start to think, man, I really wish I'd get recognized for that. 
man, I really, I really wish that somebody else would see what I did. They just see that person all the time. You marry that with selfish ambition, which was actually a word that now, nowadays, because everything is political now, but um, it, there's nothing new under the sun. The word that he uses in the Greek actually is describing politicians in Greece who created factions, Democrat, Republican type thing, okay? Um, they created those factions and were at war with each other. So, so their bitter jealousy for, to take something they wanted from other people created selfish ambition where they would create these parties and they would be at war with one another. Sound familiar? Like in our world, people want power and control to make the laws and tell people how to live. And so they, are, they war, they create factions, they create fear so that people are at war with each other. That is selfish ambition. It's rivalry that creates divisions and factions and splits because of your own interests. This is what we do with our, with, our, our, with our selfishness, and we say that we're wise. That's what James is saying. He's like, don't, don't say that you're wise when you have jealousy and ambition deepeth in your heart. You can't boast and be like, yeah, yeah, I got this all figured out. Because you see how that happens. And, and this is what a boasting heart says. This is just, as I sat there, I was thinking, like, if I were to boast about something, how would I start the sentence? Here's how I would start it. I would just say, Whatever it is, I got this. I got this. I don't need anybody else. That's what a boasting heart does. says, I got this. I don't need God. I don't need people. I don't need the church. I don't need to go to church. I don't need parents to tell me what to do. I don't need rules. I got this. That's boasting. The other one that you hear, I am better than, insert whatever. Whether that be another person or an idea, I'm better than that. That's boasting, right? Uh, that's just the idea, like, I am better than. It, it, biblically, you could think of the, the parable that Jesus talks about where there was the tax collector and the Pharisee that both come into the synagogue, and the Pharisee is praying into the front, and he's making a big show of it. The tax collector is on his knees in the back of the church, beating his chest, saying, I am a sinner. Woe is me. God, have mercy on me. And all the Pharisee can do is look over his shoulder and look down upon the, the, the sinner and go, I am so thankful, God. He says this in prayer, according to Jesus in the parable. I am so thankful I am not like that sinner, the tax collector. If, does that sound like boasting? Absolutely. I'm better than that. Or I am not like that. You reduce somebody else and elevate yourself. Boasting. Ultimately, the idea of a boasting heart just wants to say, look at me. Look at me, look at me, look at me. And it goes back to that, what is the guiding principle in your life? Is it to extend the glory of another or to get as much as you can get and live for yourself? Because if it's to live for yourself, then everything you do ultimately is look at me, look at me. And, and you're thinking to yourself, that's not me. Like, I'm not that kind of person. I'm not like the showy. I'm not the braggy kind of person. But you don't have to be. You don't have to be to be boastful. The way that you interact with God can can lead you down that road to say, look at me, not God. That's easy to, to see. We already talked about this, and I kind of jumped the gun on it, but, it, but I just had to get it off my chest in, in some ways. But, but disorder is the end result of these things. This is what happens when you, when you live your life with bitter jealousy, 
deep in your heart, selfish ambition, and, and the things that you want in selfishness leads to disorder. And the word there means insurrection, violence between people and rebellion. Ultimately, what James is trying to show you is that if you live your life according to the guiding principle of I want what I want no matter what everybody else wants, if that's the guiding principle of your life, is that how, that's how you're going to live, then ultimately what will be left in your wake is a, a relationship of disorder both with your creator God and with other people. Your life will be leaving disorder behind you. That's what's going to get caught in your wake. And that's not what James or what I want or what God would want. He doesn't want you to live a life of disorder, but, but ultimately we all have this problem where we, we get so self-centered and we don't put the needs of other people ahead of us. And we just think that our world is the biggest issue at the moment and so we elevate ourselves and we boast and we think that we're wise because we go to church and we do all these things but at the end of the day this ambition this selfish ambition lives within us and it causes disorder between people it's rebellion between us and God now this is where we contrast verse 17 but Here's what James is saying. Don't be like that because if you are, the wisdom from above is what you should be seeking after. And the first thing you should know about it is it is pure. Within that purity then, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown by those who make peace. This is where I really kind of see what James wants us to do and ultimately where we are to go in our lives. Our, our lives will be marked by a heavenly wisdom. And, and when, when I really think about this passage in particular, we talked about this series being called Rooted and what you're rooted in. I think this is exactly the, the kind of key moment in this entire book. We've been, we, did, we started this back in August and, and, and looking like we're on track to finish at the end of the school year that we'll get through this entire book together. But this passage right here is really the, the heart of everything. Where you root down, whether your roots are deep and, and just saturated in selfishness or if they're saturated in humility, wherever you've planted your, re your roots the deepest, selfishness or humility, that's what is going to be exposed. We're going to know more about where you are based on whether your roots are driven into selfishness or humility. I read, the, I read this by a, a guy who was saying, commentary on this, but he said, like true faith that James is chasing after true faith has works, true wisdom is identified by the quality of life it produces. So if your wisdom is rooted in humility, the quality of life that we see is going to be godly. But if your wisdom is rooted in your own selfishness, based on making sure that you get what you think you deserve, then we will see rotten fruit produced. This is the key to being rooted. What are you rooted in, humility or selfishness? James talks about wisdom from above being pure. There are three components to it. I could get into some geeky things about the Greek about it. Don't have time for that. But all you need to know is there are three components. To be peaceable, to be gentle, open to reason. The word for peace, peaceable is called peace-loving. It means you are free from worry. Now, that, that sounds really strange. Well, what that's really getting at, I think, is that it is how you might be worried about getting what you want 
if you're humble, you're free from that worry. You're not, you're not concerned about getting what you deserve or what you want because you ultimately trust God will provide it for you. So you're not envious of other people's stuff. You're not trying to selfishly grab their things because you are free from the worry of all of that because you know God will provide for you. The fear of the Lord helps you get that. The fear of the Lord humbles you to trust him, not yourself. So you are free from the worry about how, whatever this situation is, or whoever this person is, how they might take away what I want and desire. And rather, you say, no, what? You know, God's God's got it under control. God is going to take care of me because he loves me as his child, and he will provide for me what I need in the time that I need it. So I can live free from worry. That's what it means to live peacefully or peace-loving. To be gentle is to be considerate of other people. This is the simplest one, and this is probably the one that we get um, the easiest kind of definition of humility and selfishness is just humility would be thinking about another person before I think about myself. You know, there, there is no place on earth where that has to happen more than in your house. You, you want to practice being considerate or gentle? Do it in your house. Do it for your parents, for your siblings. You don't think that's challenging to put the needs of your siblings ahead of your own? That's hard. We had a team meeting um, right before the Super Bowl in our kitchen, impromptu, because I came home from Connect Group, and our family, the five of us, we love the Super Bowl. We have a lot of fun. We eat a lot of food for five people. It's a lot for us, um, and it will get more and more as my kids get older, because as they get bigger, they're going to eat more, right? Um, so, so we were there, but I, I walk in, and there's just, there's all of this stuff going on, and I said, all right, stop. Team meeting. Team meeting. We are going to make this night fun for the people around us. We're not just going to be trying to get what we want. Oh, I want the first chicken nugget. Oh, I want this. He's going to get this chick. I want that piece of cookie cake with the big icing that's the letter B in orange because it's like this thick and that's going to be a lot of sugar. I want it. Okay, so we got to stop. How can I make that better for you? Can I make that better for, for you today? How can I live better for you? I'm telling you, your house is the, is the training ground to live this way. How can I make my parents' day better? Have you ever thought that way? Like, I'm, I'm, I am so on team parent, okay, because I am one, but I'm also, I am for your parents so much. I want to I lift them up, but have you ever had that thought, like, when you wake up in the morning, like, man, how could I serve mom and dad today? Rather than, mom, dad, I want some milk. Mom, dad, the alarm, I can't reach it. Can you turn it off for me? That's ridiculous, by the way. But, but seriously, how, how often do we live this way to be considerate of them, considerate of your younger siblings, your older siblings, telling you to live gently, to be considerate of other people? Man, that takes place in the home. Last one is, is to be reasonable. This actually translates to the word compliant, which that sounds like something that we as Christians should not be. We shouldn't be compliant. But what it's saying is you shouldn't be extending this into things that are um, dealing with like moral issues that would make you sin or theological issues that we um, would say are untrue. Outside of moral issues or theological beliefs about who God is and Jesus and the gospel, you are to defer to other people outside of those things. Okay, so hear me. When they say, hey, you should follow me in this and it's morally incorrect or sinful, don't do it. Don't defer to them. Or if they say, hey, you should think this way, but the Bible tells you the opposite, don't defer to them. But ultimately, in other things that are not harmful to you or your faith, you are to be compliant, not just chasing after what you want. 
open to reasoning with them. That's a tough one. Open to being, basically open to working with someone. Just work it out with you. How can we do it so that it is something that you enjoy first? Here's the simple truth. The simple truth is humility leads to peace. Selfishness leads to disorder. If you, if you take anything away tonight, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to give you one big thought every week to kind of walk away from and distill this down. Here's the big thought is humility leads to peace. Selfishness will lead to disorder. If you live a humble life, you defer to others, you think of them, you live peaceably with them, man, life is going to be so much smoother than if you are constantly chasing after your own will and wants and desires, and it's going to be a life of disorder. I'm going to finish with uh, verse uh, 18 again. I'm going to reread it. It says, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, I, I think the harvest, the harvest language is something that they were a very agricultural society of farmers, so they, they get that. Um, for us, you know, we, we don't really do that as much. So I thought about this, um, being left in your wake. And, and I have experience with uh, being behind the wake of a boat. I don't know how many of you guys, I know some people, because I know one of them, one person here has been injured water tubing um, behind a, the wake of a boat. Um, I have been injured wakeboarding uh, behind the wake of a boat, chipped a tooth, and it was gross. Um, then the tooth, tooth was jagged and slit my, t- my lip and had blood everywhere, but I was so cold in the lake that I was in, my whole mouth was numb and I had no idea uh, until I saw blood on my hands. And I was like, whoa. Um, but being behind the wake of a boat, I also went water tubing a lot in a, in a lake with some friends in high school. And my friend um, who, uh, whose lake house we went to had an uncle that lived on the other side of the lake, and the uncle had a speedboat, Crazy Uncle Tim. You know, like, you got to have a crazy uncle, and my friend had crazy Uncle Tim. Crazy Uncle Tim loved to take high school guys on a water tube behind his boat and see how high he could launch them and what type of crazy flips and upside-down things would happen when they would fall off the tube. And so I have been behind the wake of a boat. You know what I mean by that is when a boat is charging through the water, it creates this wake behind it, right? I, I think this is what really we have to understand, because in verse 18... It's talking about this. It says, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If you live humbly, you're going to sow peace wherever you go. So, so when you leave a place, if you've been walking humbly among the people in that place, you're sowing, you're leaving in your wake peace. But you all know people who are selfish and so self-centered that when they enter a situation, all that they leave behind them is disorder and chaos, right? Like you all know those things. You know those types of people. But what are you leaving in your wake? Like when you leave a place, like when you graduate your high school or when you, when you leave your home, like when you, when you get old enough and you go live on your own, what are you leaving in your wake behind you? If you've been living self-centered, you're going to be leaving disorder and chaos. Kind of like those water tubing things where the waves are just crest falling everywhere and it's craziness. But in the picture that we have on screen, I just, I just look at that water, and have you ever seen water that has been untouched by anything? Pools are probably the best example of this, but it just looks like pure glass. I remember when I used to work summer camp, and we'd show up to the pool before anybody could get into it. All our little kids, like, with their hands like this on a chain-link fence, just, like, drooling to get into the water, you know, on a hot summer day. And the pool had not been touched yet, and you could just look, and it was just, like, pure glass. Until that first little person hits it with a cannonball and then it's all chaos after that, right? 
But that's what I imagine is the waters are so calm and peaceful for somebody who lives in humility before the Lord and before others. All right, I'm going to finish with these questions and we're done. So a couple questions I wrote down for myself because these are things just challenged me and I think these will challenge you. Number one, do I respect proud people more than humble servants of Christ? Do you look up to people who are just proud and arrogant and flamboyant and flash all their success and just show off all the time and are very successful in the world's eyes? Or are you more respectful and proud of people who are humble servants of Christ? Number two, do you serve the Lord without caring who gets the credit? Do, do you care that people acknowledge your service to the Lord or could you just do it and just continue to do it? And even if somebody else got the credit, would you be okay with that? Do I use questionable means so I can get results? Yeah, that, that's just an easy one, right? Do you just, in your selfishness, think, I just got to get what I want to get. So the ends justify the means, whatever it takes, I'm going to get it. So it means I got to pass a test, I'm going to just do whatever I have to do. Do I resort to sarcasm and unkind remarks? I think a lot of times you're trying to cover up and, and make yourself feel better about yourself. That's a little bit of selfishness still. And the last one, just easy. Do I harbor jealousy and resentment? Those are the questions that I had asked myself I'm studying this, and I know that there are times where I fall into those different things. So the antidote for all of this, Mark 2.17, Jesus said this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Here's the first thing. If you recognize that you're failing in any of these areas or you know you've got that sickness of selfishness still in your heart, you go to the physician. You go to Jesus. You go to him and you say, listen, I am sick in the heart with selfishness. Can you heal and cure me? He calls us, but not until you acknowledge that you need him. You gotta acknowledge your need for him as a sinner the righteous don't come to him because they think they've got it all figured out. And that is the righteousness of selfishness, self-righteousness that thinks they've got it figured out. The last thing I think that is a remedy for all this is Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. That's a lot harder to do than you think. When other people succeed, can you rejoice with them? Can you be excited for what God's doing in their life? Your instinct is going to be, I really wish that was me. Why don't I get that? I think when Christ comes to heal your heart, he helps you rejoice with those who rejoice only because you recognize, I am nothing. Christ is all. And so if he's everything, then if he's getting the glory in somebody else's life, I'm living for his glory, not my own. Right? We're back right to the guiding principle. Who are you living for? Are you living to extend the glory of somebody else? God? Or are you living to get what you want to get? Let's pray. God, thanks for this time together. Lord, I just thank you for uh, these guys and girls. And just pray that this is uh, something that challenges them as it challenges me. Uh, just to think about how I'm living, where my roots are planted. Whether they be humility or selfishness. God, we all need to root out this conceit and this selfishness in our hearts. And I pray you would help us do that. Only through your son. That's the only remedy, the only healing thing that can cure these sick hearts of ours is your son and the blood that he shed and his forgiveness. May we learn to extend that to others. May we look out and rejoice for the good of others and extend the goodness of others around us. May we be excited when we see you doing amazing things in the lives of others. Because we know that ultimately it is for your glory, not ours. And we live for that. We pray all these things in your son's holy name. Amen. Amen. So today, hey,